0: You're in
1: the Waterloop. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. Water conservation is very important to me, and I bet it is to all of you. That's why I use High Sierra shower heads in my house, and I'm so happy to have them as a supporter of this podcast. High Sierra carries the EPA WaterSense label for efficiency and uses 40% less water than conventional low-flow shower heads. 40%. The model I have uses just a gallon and a half per minute. And because of their unique nozzle design, it's patented. Nobody else has it it maximizes efficiency of water and energy use but doesn't sacrifice on performance you still get a powerful shower use promo code loop 20 for 20 percent off at high sierra showerheads.com the Waterloop podcast is sponsored by flume it's the perfect device for tracking your home's water use in real time on your smartphone it's so easy to use You just attach a small device to your water meter using a band, the same way you put a watch on your wrist. Then you connect to Wi-Fi, you download the app, and you're up and running. It's as simple as that. You don't need a plumber. You don't need to cut into any of your pipes or water lines. Very easy to set up. Then you can set water budgets. How much you want to use each day or week, it'll keep track of that. It'll tell you what's going on in your house with water use minute by minute. It'll send alerts to you if there's excessive water use or if it suspects a leak. In fact, when I installed flume at my house, it told me almost right away about a leak. I was losing a gallon of water every six minutes. I'm honestly not sure when I would have found that without flume. You can use promo code Waterloop for 10% off at Flumewater.com. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. In this episode, going to talk about one of the biggest challenges out there for water and environment. That's the, the funding and financing of projects and where those dollars come from. Really pleased to be joined by Eric Letzinger, the CEO of Quantified Ventures. Eric, thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
0: Oh, thanks, Travis. Looking forward to a good conversation.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm really uh, intrigued to talk to you kind of about some of the new, innovative, creative financing that's out there and, and what you all have been up to. Could you set the stage a little bit and talk about kind of uh, the challenges with how environmental projects were and, and still are traditionally financed um, that kind of ended up leading you to your approach?
0: Sure. I mean, listen, we have... Um, we have an endless inventory or list of projects that the humans in this space would like to get on the field of uh, funding is always a problem. Um, and when nickels and dimes of funding are scarce, uh, and expectations are high, uh, we tend to move forward with more business as usual and s- safe solutions. And given the demands of, Public sector leaders now, in the wake of, uh, or in the, uh, with climate change and four thousand other plate tectonic shifts and dwindling <laughs> budgets, uh, we're going to have to innovate up this mountain, if you will, and uh, and we're and that's asking a lot of our public sector leaders. Right, go ahead and innovate up that giant mountain. Uh, there's not a lot of upside for um, for innovation in the public sector I've spent a third of my career running municipal agencies and and um, there's a lot of downside right and innovation doesn't always work and so um, with a lot of the ways that we currently pay for uh, infrastructure water infrastructure environmental projects we 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 pay for we the government we pay for things upfront and we typically hope for the best. Hmm. And um, and so the the simple notion that we've leaned into is how can we enable our government leaders to uh, more efficiently pay for innovation by buying the outcome at the back end as opposed to paying for everything on the front end and hoping for the best.
1: Mm. Interesting. Well, could you talk a little bit about your background? I thought it was interesting that you've kind of been in a couple of the different key spaces uh, for this. You, you know, you mentioned uh, working in the public sector for a third of your career. I think you've got another good blend when you look at your background.
0: Yeah, I I, I only recently learned that there was a term for this, but I, apparently I'm a tri-sector executive, which sounds oh. easier than it feels. Um <laughs> And, and so I've spent a third of my career uh, in the public sector, a third of my career in the nonprofit sector and a third of my career in the private sector mm. and um, have, have enjoyed each one of them. And I, I, I generally feel like each one of those three sectors is, is incredibly good at something and incredibly lousy at something. Mm. And um, and so the the work that I have enjoyed the most and seen the most impact from over my career has been when each one of those three sectors – is working on a challenge where each of those sectors gets to bring what they're super duper great at and leave behind perhaps what they're super duper lousy at.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, I know one of the things that the public sector struggles with, and, and you just kind of alluded to or talked about, is this idea of, of risk and innovation and being creative, right? They, they don't really have the usually have the flexibility to do that they're they're under certain laws and regulations and they've got to deliver uh, and there's not a lot of room to take risk so I know that you you kind of pioneered this this approach with in DC that was the first project right so could you tell that story sure
0: sure that was a that was a really fun one and it was a great. Uh, a real treat to work with the uh, leadership at DC water at the time um, on this. They were under a consent decree to address their combined sewer uh, outflow challenges. And um, they were staring down the barrel of big decisions as to whether they're going to spend $2.6 billion on more gray infrastructure or whether they're going to um, try to uh, spend some of that on green infrastructure. And so let's, let's, they, they, the, let's think about those two choices in the spirit of business as usual or innovation, which I realize is overly simplistic, but, um, and, and so meaning the gray infrastructure, the tunnels, we, they know those will work 2.6 and they're good at building them. And, and matter of fact, they built the first one and it was on time and on budget, like go government, go on time and on budget, a billion dollar capital project.
1: And it's, and it's been tremendously successful. I mean, it's done what they set out for yeah. to do. Yeah. exactly
0: so why why change well why change is this innovative solution you know at the time George Hawkins the general manager of, of uh, DC water was quite enamored with the positive externalities associated with green infrastructure meaning uh, there are environmental benefits there are health benefits there are workforce development benefits there are right there's a lot of outcomes that are associated with green infrastructure that are less so on the gray infrastructure side. Okay. Um, So, but the, but back to your risk question, the risk profile perceived or real of green infrastructure, meaning, Oh wow. Let's see, if we were to build 350 acres of green infrastructure, will that address the CSO challenge in the same manner with the same kind of level of confidence that, um, that the gray infrastructure tunnels would Um, don't know. Why? Because nobody's ever done, nobody's ever gone all in with that kind of solution, right? So who wants to be first in the public sector? Literally nobody, right? And (laughs) so somebody's got to figure out a way to de-risk that choice so that it becomes a rational choice for the government to choose that innovative solution um, over business as usual, Uh, you know, in situations where there's an appetite for the government to actually consider that innovative solution. Uh, which which was president with, um, at DC Water. So um, it, it, at the end of the day, that's all we did is just tip the scales and and, and and so how would they have normally paid for this? Municipal bonds. So let's start there. let's let's see if we can let's not invent something new and scare the capital markets to death um, and 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 terrify everybody along the way. Let's build off of what we already are using. Um, So we worked backwards with the municipal bond and said, how can we create a situation where the bond buyer for this bond to fund the green infrastructure shares in some of the performance risk of the green infrastructure? Because it may or may not work, thus the word innovation, Mm. (laughs) right? And so um, once we – and to do that, you've got to figure out what the bond buyer would be betting on if you will. What's the metric? What's the outcome metric that um, that investor would be a due diligence in the risk of that occurring? And, um, and, and, and be like, how do we something we can measure and then say, yes, it worked in a super duper way or in a super duper lousy way. And therefore bond buyer, here's your return. Um, so once that work was done, and we came up with a blow in the sewer metric, that reasonable people You know, the outcome we wanted was a cleaner Potomac River. Hmm. We found a good proxy metric where reasonable people agreed that if you control the flow in the sewer, you're going to end up with a cleaner Potomac River. Okay, so once we had the metric, then uh, we were able to model that and get that into a normal curve with some confidence intervals. And then um, that became a simple predictive model of how well the green infrastructure would perform with that gradation, that climate, that soil composition, all the factors. And then all we did was layer interest rates over that normal curve, meaning we think it's going to perform in the middle of this normal curve. Right. And therefore we'll make that interest rate, whatever the normal interest rate would have been at that particular time floating into plain vanilla municipal bond. However, in the far right tail, which is the overperform, meaning if in five years we open up the magic box and we learn, hey, this thing did twice as good as we thought it was going to do, uh, which would be fantastic news because DC would save about $175 million. Um, let's make the interest rate for that far right tail be twice as much, right? Because like, if the city's saving $175 million, happy to pay a bonus payment out to the bondholder of a few million dollars. Mm. Um, and then on the downside in exchange for that upside, wonderfulness to the investor, um, where they're both sharing in that upside on the, on the downside, um, what if it doesn't work? And let's just, let's just say it doesn't work. Green infrastructure totally doesn't work. It's a zero out of a hundred fail. Um, then that interest rate would be, you know, called zero, zero percent. Right. And so, Um, and then, uh, now what just happened, the city's disappointed because they've learned green infrastructure doesn't work in their city. Um, and they haven't, instead of them taking the full financial hit of that, they have shared that downside with their bond buyer. Uh, suddenly their interests are in aligned with their bond investors, um, as opposed to how standard municipal bonds work, which is a zero sum game. You argue over the interest rate, somebody wins, somebody loses, um, and so now you've got a partner in your investor who actually wants the good outcomes to actually occur.
1: Hmm. So, in that respect, this environmental impact bond approach, there's there's a, a greater degree of risk, but there's a greater degree of reward. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, and you can structure them one way or the other. Uh, it's interesting. We've we're in the process of structuring one in Buffalo, which is the inverted meaning. The, the more, and and there's investor appetite for all these packages Hmm. And, and so the one in Buffalo, the environmental impact bond is the more, uh, the more positive outcomes that are generated, the less return the investor makes.
1: What would incentivize an investor to, to go with that? You know, I'm right. I'm kind, I'm kind of curious in some of the different motivations here. Uh, you know uh, of the different formulations.
0: Right. I, I I think the appetite for an environmental impact bond that was structured in the inverse way that the DC water one is is our more for uh, family office um, philanthropic, meaning I re- I used to grant fund to, to I used to grant fund for these kind of projects. I now see a way to actually invest to make these. I'm willing to, I was willing to grant this out completely. I'm now willing to get a return on it. I'm thrilled that we're even talking about my getting a return on it. (laughs) Um, and I'm willing to actually have my return be inversely proportionate to the outcomes that are generated for that particular community.
1: Ah, very, very interesting. I'm, I'm curious, you know, how the returns compare for this approach to the other, you know, municipal bonds. I, I, how, how many have been done? What's the scope of, of work so far of, of this? So it's kind of been going on for four or five years. Kind yeah. of, you know, what's, what's the yeah. track record?
0: Let's hear. here. So the track record, well, let's see here. Let's, let, let, we've got to segment them out into the different kinds. Okay. Um, and, and maybe there's one more that's worth putting on the table um, so we just um, closed one of these with the city of Hampton, Virginia. Um, and, and this one was a really interesting environmental impact bond because it, was, um, it didn't have the elements of tying the uh, return on investment directly to the performance of the green infrastructure projects. However, what it did do is it bridged the gap between what a green bond does and what an environmental impact bond has typically done, hmm. meaning a green in a green impact, a green bond is, as, as we know, right, there, there's a and I'm not a hater of green bonds, uh, hmm. but it's it's about intent. Right. I am. I'm Eric Letzinger in one year. I am going to run a marathon and here's my I intend to run a marathon. And here's my note from that I got from my trainer. I haven't started training yet, but I'm I'm gonna start next week. And here's my <laughs> note from the trainer, right? And I'm I'm a good bet, right? And and then so I'm the green bond, right? I'm 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 intent, right? Like that's that's something I plan to do. I there's no if you buy this bond and I don't run the marathon, there's no recourse, there's no but that's what I intend to do. So the environmental impact bond that we did in Hampton actually took the notion of that green bond and said, let's do three things. Let's A, um, let's formally predict the outcomes that will come from this project. And number two, let's agree to formally uh, evaluate whether those outcomes actually happen or not. And number three, agree in our disclosure agreements for this particular bond, agree that we will publicly announce the realization or non-realization of these, of the outcomes associated with this resilience project. Um, and so that particular model is really efficient and it takes the notion of a green bond and starts to status, satisfy the growing demand of ESG investors who obviously the demand for green bonds in certain markets is very high. Uh, but many of those investors are saying. Yeah. But did I get the impact? Mm. Right. I I understand the intent and that was good and that was a good start. But now I'm wondering two years later, like what happened? Did, did Letzinger run that marathon? Mm -hmm. And so so the environmental impact bond is starting to satisfy that demand for a project, the impact, quantify it, meaning through engineers, not by somebody filling out a form. (laughs) Um, And then number two, committing to that rigorous evaluation. And number three, publicly reporting on those outcomes.
1: Okay. And, I mean, you guys have, have picked up steam, it seems like from, from me kind of watching from afar and noticing more stuff on social media and, and stories in the, in the regular press and everything. you know it started with DC. Um, I think you guys were in, you know did one in Atlanta, Hampton, Virginia, like you mentioned, there's Louisiana and I want to talk about those other ones a little bit. Um, I think there's some stuff stirring in Memphis and New Orleans and so it's kind of uh, having that, that expansion that you'd hope for, right? correct correct and
0: it's been interesting to see where these go so we started you know i would say 80 percent of our work is in water in some way shape or form all of our financial structures are about monetizing and selling outcomes mm. um and trying to flip that buying process um one that's really interesting to talk about, uh, Travis, that you may find interesting, is in our agriculture work. Um, yeah. Would it be okay if I unpack that one? Absolutely. Yeah, so so after the DC Water Environmental Impact Bond uh, closed, we had real interest in taking that stormwater management model and converting it and, and seeing if it was applicable in the water quality space in the Midwest, where we've got a lot of... Um, phosphorus and nitrate coming from up upstream farms, right? And and so then the water authorities downstream are having to make significant uh, investments in their treatment facilities. Can we use this model to address some of those challenges? We we ran after that for about a, um, a year, and um, in, in in Iowa and um, and and the model didn't quite pencil the way we thought, f- meaning all the numbers didn't uh, line up. The savings wasn't good enough. Mm. Um, to actually make something scale and, and become replicable until you started to look at some of the practices that we were paying farmers to profitably build. And it turns out three of the five of them sequestered carbon. Hmm. Um, so that's when the light bulb went off in our brain saying, hey, listen, we, we are typically doing these transactions uh, based on one outcome. What if we could do What if we could start what we refer to as stacking outcomes, meaning one activity, multiple outcomes, sell those outcomes to different entities who may or may not care about one another. Um, But if they can buy them and subsidize each other's costs to the point where each one was satisfied with the price of their outcome, um, if we could figure that model out. So we ran after that. And so uh, we now have a highly scalable model that is expanding now outside of Iowa and into Ohio and um, Illinois and um, uh, the uh, four other states in that, in that region, we're doing this all in partnership with the Iowa soybean association and where we, so to, to give you the punchline of what we ended up developing is we now pay farmers in those states to profitably, meaning they make money, so we're no longer just giving a grant to cost share or make it complicated. Like, here's a way for farmers to make money. Go ahead and here are the five practices. Go ahead and build those things, right? And 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 then you're done. The farmers are done. And then we sell those the carbon offsets to corporations who have made big shareholder commitments, um, and they're thrilled to be buying carbon offsets that actually come from their supply chain um as opposed to other sources and then why because it makes the their their supply chain more resilient and then um and then we sell the water quality benefits to municipalities states and to the usda
1: hmm. and so uh th- this that's awesome we're talking about like cover crops buffer strips kind of that yeah. the, the Correct. Kind of the, you know Correct. no-till farming or uh, yeah yeah i got three of the five you got three in the Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, I, I'm afraid to try to keep going and ruin my batting average there. <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 awesome, uh, especially because, like you said, a, a lot of times uh, with with the agriculture challenges, uh, it's giving just giving grants to try to offset. But if farmers can actually then add a profit on top and make this make that money, especially you know we know that they're hurting in a lot of ways. So that's that's fantastic. Um, I think there was some other unique fa- uh, aspect of the Atlanta uh, bond. Could you talk about that one?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the so the D.C. water environmental impact bond that was the first of a kind. It got a lot of fanfare and created a lot of good discussions with a lot of municipalities. Um, that was a privately placed bond. Um, what does that mean? It means at the end of the day, it wasn't. Um, you know, we 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 sat in a conference room with investors and worked out the the we worked out the transaction in such a way because it was the first of a kind and we were all, we needed to do it together. Right. And, and we did right. So that privately plays by now that that's at the end of the day, that was a great win, great win for the market, got a new financial product on the market for water authorities to consider. Um, it's it's that's fairly inefficient. Mm. And, and so, the question when Atlanta stepped up and said, Hey, listen, we want to do, we want to do one of those things. Um, and, um, the innovation that, that they were willing to tackle was, can we structure one of these environmental impact bonds and then issue it publicly, meaning we don't have to sit in a conference room and have long conversation and eat bad sandwiches. <laughs> um, so Um, That was the success of that uh, environmental impact bond. It was phenomenal to work with the city of Atlanta and also with the uh, Department of Watershed Services. And um, they were really, really great partners uh, because, you know, I would say even up to the last day when it, it actually got sold, none of us knew whether that was possible.
1: If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Well, I I mean, given given, uh, the coronavirus of the past life of the past 10 months or so, I would love one of those conference room with crappy sandwich lunches uh, just to sit around with people and and talk, man.
0: Bad sandwiches sound pretty good.
1: Right. With 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 friends and coworkers, yeah,
0: humans in the same room. Right?
1: <laughs> um, also, just wanted to to ask about the Louisiana uh, one that I think involved wetlands. Um, just kind of how that what that bond looked like.
0: Well, yeah, you know, two, two, two projects talking about uh, we're talking about in Louisiana, um, and a, a potential third in Baton Rouge uh, coming up. But Louisiana, that project started with the simple notion of. Um, the state of Louisiana is losing a football field of coast um, coastline every nanosecond. Right. And <laughs> so um, and, and we know that building more nature based solutions off the coast, i.e. wetlands, um, will slow down the degradation of that coastline um, with uh, uh, the Blue Horizon funds from the BP oil spills. There's a lot of there's money there. Um, and there's projects and there's the normal delay of projects, meaning whatever you do today will cost you less because that degradation is happening on a nanosecond by nanosecond basis. So, uh, um, the, the, the simple spirit of what we were trying to do there was to, uh, finance the development of these wetlands off the coastline of Louisiana, um, and then have the metric be. Did we slow down the degradation of the coastline um, against what it would have normally um, uh, uh, been eroding to? So that, that that was a that was an interesting that was a really fun project to work on. I, I will say there's a there's another really exciting project that we've uh, met, that actually launches this month in the city of uh, New Orleans with the um, the with finance new orleans which is the old housing finance agency who uh, through great leadership from a gentleman named damon burns uh who runs that agency learned about the dc water and the environmental impact bonds that have been going around in the country and had the really interesting idea of seeing if we could combine that with a mortgage product to actually push out to uh, private residents in new orleans to incentivize them to build resilience practices i.e. green infrastructure on private land and, and embed that product an outcomes-based product with uh, a mortgage product and uh, that is for people like me that's like nerd heaven yeah and, uh, and a great I'd,
1: like, I'd like to sign up for that myself right. please yeah
0: okay right. so be on the lookout for that getting rolled out here at the uh, the end of january
1: okay very cool um you mentioned about how much of your work is in the water space. I know I know you do some or in some other areas, but why why is it that water is such a good fit? You know why why is it such a good fit for these environmental impact bonds and this type of innovative finance?
0: It's a good question. Um, a because I don't think there's not been a lot of innovation and in how we pay for water projects or things that t- touch water in a long time. So it was ripe. And then number two um, what makes this water creates water projects, projects that have the word water in it, um, create a lot of outcomes, various mm-hmm. outcomes. Um, and that it meaning outcomes that we can price, we can measure, we can predict, and we can sell. Um, and, and if we can sell it to people who it, with a value proposition of you know, if we can sell those outcomes to uh, medi- um, um, health payers, healthcare payers uh, in, in the health systems, whether it's Medicare MC- uh, Advantage plans or Medicaid MCOs um, who can buy outcomes from water related projects, we all know intuitively. And through evidence that water-related projects create health outcomes, Mm. environmental outcomes, workforce development outcomes, and yet we hamstring these water authorities and say you pay for all of it, Mm. right? Right. So what? That and and they're going well. I got to find more nickels and dimes in the sofa. And um, so the 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 water industry is so ripe for this concept of slicing and dicing the outcomes of projects and having other parties pay for those outcomes not on the upfront but when those outcomes are delivered to their doorstep by them doing nothing mm. And what makes all this possible is the growth of impact capital. And because impact capital is a source of capital, it's growing at 23 percent a year, it's massive we don't need to measure it anymore not going anywhere because it's tied to the intergenerational wealth transfer um and let's bring that capital that wants to get connected directly with outcomes meaning they don't want to just invest for the sake of investing they want to know what their investment is yielding in terms of impact hmm. and so it is the right time for the water industry to get to know that capital because that capital is exactly is looking for exactly what the water industry produces.
1: Yeah, oh, man, that's it's exciting stuff. That's awesome. Uh, as someone that's worked in water for a while myself, um, yeah, I'm I'm excited by by what's happening here and what you guys are doing. That's that's terrific. Sounds like a, a bright future, and that you're going to be busier and busier uh, as as uh, days and months and years go by here, which is a good thing. Um, I I definitely look forward to uh, digging into some of these projects that we talked about today and talking to people in in Iowa and talking to people in Louisiana um, just about uh, how these have worked on the ground. But uh, Eric, thanks a ton for your time and and for uh, talking about what you're doing.
0: Absolutely. Um, Let's call this the beginning of a long conversation, my friend.
1: Absolutely. All right. Take care. Thanks, Travis. Waterloo, thanks everyone for listening to today's episode a special thanks to waterloop supporters Springpoint partners and the walton family foundation the waterloop podcast is sponsored by high sierra showerheads the smart stylish way to save energy water and money while enjoying a powerful shower save 20 percent with promo code waterloop at high sierra waterloop is also sponsored by flume the smart water monitor that tracks your home's water use in real time and provides data on your smartphone. Save 10% with promo code WATERLOOP at flumewater.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.